Last week, I shared during the children's moment that Zephaniah, the prophet Zephaniah, was one of my favorite prophets. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I think uh, I, I taught it last week in Sunday school. I've preached through the book of Zephaniah at one time or another, at least two or three times, even in different countries. If I'm asked to preach uh, while on a missions trip, I usually go to Zephaniah. And it's a fun one for the translators to try and translate what is Zephaniah in Spanish or in uh, Portuguese or something like that. And so that's where we're going to go this morning, Zephaniah. So I'll give you a few minutes to find it. And there's no shame in looking at the table of contents in the beginning of your Bible to find out what page that might be on. But if you're in one of the little black Bibles in the church uh, chairs, it, you will find it on page 788. 788, you'll find Zephaniah. Uh, in your own Bible, you might find it on a different page. But as you look, I'd like to take a moment and pause. And let's just take a breath together. Like literally, just breathe in and breathe out. There is a lot going on. If you look at the news in the world of politics, there's wars. You see pictures of Ukraine and Russia doing battle, and there's death and mayhem. There's fear of what might come later, the possibility of wars in other regions. You look a little closer to home, and you have not been able to escape it that there's an election coming up. And if just that right politician isn't elected, the world will blow up, apparently, according to some of the advertisements. There is fear. There is threats of wars there's then even closer to home relationship difficulties there's strain in marriages there's separation between children and parents there's difficulty between siblings and extended families and then you start to look within and even in your own heart you see the battles that you face with sin you see maybe the disease that is ravaging your body you see things starting to fall apart and you think it's never going to get better than this huh and then we see our relationship with the lord and maybe some of you feel at this moment that it's strained you feel a weariness a guilt a shame you feel this kind of separation not as close to god as you used to be or as you'd like to be there's a weariness of the soul. So let's take a breath. And it's my prayer that this morning you would seek the Lord and you would find your rest in Him. And in the midst of this darkness that we see within and without, we would find the Lord this morning. So would you join me in praying that God would bring that rest to our souls this morning through His Word. Let's pray. God, we come to You and we humbly wait. We could list all of our needs, all of our desires, all of the brokenness, and we'd be here all day. But Lord, You know our weakness. So we ask that through Your inspired Word, you would come, you would meet with us today, and you would bring us rest. You would bring us encouragement. You would give us hope. 
and you would give us life where there is death. So Lord, meet with us today. May your word go out in power and in truth. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin at the beginning. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now that's a lot of names. <laughs> a lot of fun names. So let's figure out what's going on here. This is Zephaniah. We get that from the title of the book. That one's an easy one. And then he comes from all these other guys. Not worried about them right now. But what I do want to look at is the name of the king that he comes to serve and to preach under. It says he brings this message in the days of Josiah, the king, the son of Ammon. So do you remember during the days of Josiah who that king was? He was a king over Judah, the southern nation, right? After the civil war, there was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And then Israel gets destroyed by Assyria. And now it's just Judah in the south. And Josiah is one of the final kings that leads up to eventually the Babylonian captivity. Josiah was that king who was eight years old when he takes the throne. Eight-year-old, eight-year-old king, could you imagine? And he takes the throne from his dad, Amon. Now, Amon, he was a wicked, wicked king, the Bible says. In fact, he was so bad, he only served for two years as king, and his own servants put him to death because they just could not take him anymore. They killed Josiah's dad, Amon, to make Josiah, the eight-year-old, be king. They're like, this guy's so bad, let's take our chances with the eight-year-old with all the power. That was a better option. But you can't blame Amon so bad because his dad, Manasseh, or Manasseh, was almost the most wicked king that Judah ever had. Manasseh, so Josiah's grandfather, the Bible says in 2 Kings 21, said he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He set up idols inside the temple of Solomon. Where instead of going to worship the one true Lord, they would go and they'd worship serpents and Baal and all kinds of astra poles and different kinds of gods. In fact, Manasseh, he sacrificed his own son to one of these false gods and killed him in, a, in an attempt to worship and appease these false gods. He led the nation in rebellion against the Lord in about every imaginable way. In fact, it says about him as a description of Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, says, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides the sin that he made Judah to sin, so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he himself was incredibly wicked, and he led all of the people into wickedness. And so we have generations of evil, an entire nation rejecting the Lord, walking in disobedience. And then here comes Josiah, the eight-year-old. And he is said 
to be one of the best kings that Judah ever had. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He leads the nation in a revival. He cleans out the temple. He rids the nation of idol worship. And he brings the people back to God. In fact, his is the story where they're cleaning out the temple because they were using it for storage. Like that's where they were at this point. They're cleaning out the temple and they find the book of the law because they had lost it. They lost the writings of Moses and the other men that put these things together for them to remember who God was and teach his truth They'd forgotten and they'd lost it. But Josiah, during his reign, they find it. And they read it. Josiah the king rips his clothes in repentance and he brings the people back to the Lord. So here he is leading the people in a revival, a return back to the Lord. And here's what the Bible describes Josiah, like I said, as one of the best kings ever. Here's what it says about him. Before him, there was no king like him. That includes like David, (laughs) Solomon. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Like that's the biggest gold sticker from heaven you could ever get. It's like Josiah You win the prize. Best king ever, so says the Lord. What a compliment, right? So he's doing a great job as king. And then here comes Zephaniah, walking into the throne room of of, 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 uh, Josiah, and he stands before the king, and, and maybe the king is planning the next Passover meal because they started doing the Passover again. And he's, you know, celebrating how another little village ridded themselves of an idol. And he's like working hard. We're going well here. This is, this is great. And then walks in Zephaniah with a message from the Lord. And here's what he says. Look at verse 2. This is God speaking again. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Whoa, (laughs) you can't get more frightening than that. It kind of takes your breath away. At least it should if you believe it to be true. Like in the days of Noah, God is going to come and destroy the world. There's nowhere to run. There's no place to hide. He goes, you want to go up into the sky? I'm going to kill all the birds. You're going to go out to the ocean? I'm going to kill all the fish. You're going to try and run and hide in the wilderness? I'm going to kill all the animals. All of mankind I will utterly sweep away like it's the trash you sweep out of your kitchen. Like the dust on your feet, God is going to sweep mankind off of the earth. Wow. 
this is not good news. I shouldn't have to say that, but it's not good news. It should, it should cause us to pause, to pay attention, to think deeply about why would God say this? In fact, I was teaching Zephaniah, like I said last week, it was the, the uh, children's lesson, and I did chapel in the child care this previous week for the school-age kids. You know, and I don't hold back with those kids. I try and scare them a little bit. I'm like, God is going to kill everyone, right? And one little boy nails it, and he says, wait, wait, Pastor Josh, I thought God was supposed to be good. Well, isn't that the question that we should be asking right now? And if you're not asking it, I don't know if you're really paying attention. Is God really good? How can He say this and still claim to be good? Isn't that the question we ask when things don't go our way in our lives? When you get that diagnosis, doesn't that question bounce around in your mind? How could God allow this? I thought He was supposed to be good. When you see the news and it's nothing but tragedy after tragedy, you say, God, how could you not stop this? I thought you were supposed to be good. When relationships are severed and you feel like all hope is lost, don't you say, God, why wouldn't you prevent this? I thought you were supposed to be good. God, aren't you good? Then why? Why all of this? God, what are you doing? So he makes these statements in Zephaniah to catch our attention. And I know if you came in here and you're weary hearing this horrible news of destruction is not going to help. But sometimes, as the saying goes, it needs to get worse before it gets better. And I believe that it is only when we stare into the deepest darkness of sin and rebellion and see rightly the wrath of God that our eyes can become sensitive to see rightly the blinding brightness of the magnitude of His mercy. It is only when you look into the deepest darkness that you will start to see the brightness of his mercy. Because when you see his, you will not see his mercy as mighty if you think that the judgment that it averts is weak. So let's look at how God continues to pronounce judgment against his people in the midst of a revival, a returning to the Lord. He continues his pronouncement of judgment. So let's stare a little longer into this darkness. Look at verse 4. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. Those who bow down on the roofs to the hosts of the heavens. Those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. 
Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated His guests. God is bringing His punishment upon His people for their sin. And look again here closely at this verse 7 where He says, Be silent before the Lord. It's like God is saying, hey, shut your mouth. Stop with your sinning lies and deceptions. The way that you cheat and you use the voice that I gave you to worship other gods, sing their praise, and hurt one another. Stop your mouth of sin. The Apostle Paul in Romans says that our throats are in open graves. Our tongues deceive with the venom of asps. And our Mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And here God says to His people, Enough! Close your mouth. Be silent and stand before My judgment. I will not tolerate your sin anymore. Like the dad who walks in hearing his children fighting in the other room, swings the door open and just says, Enough! And the kids grow silent and fearful because they know what's coming. You know, when we think about our culture today, there's so many voices. It's so noisy and loud with billboards and advertisements and music and movies and emails that come our way and text messages that come our way and friends and conversations that we have that are just noisy opposition to the Lord. Things that are trying to draw our affections away from God and place them on something else or on someone else or, to be honest, in our day, on ourselves. So many voices tempting and leading us astray. And God here comes in and says, enough, enough. We can be drowned in the noise of the rebellion of the world as it screams out its doubts against God, as it brings shame into our hearts, and it leads us to reject the Lord. And it seems constant. But then God stops it here and says, silence. God is angry. And He has reason to be. We are sinners. And there is a day of wrath coming for our sin. And it is not a good day. Later in chapter 1, starting in verse 14, it's described like this. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Yikes! This is not a good day. 
to stand in the presence of the wrath of God. But this should be no surprise for us. Throughout Scripture, it has been clear. God has said it over and over again. The punishment for sin is death. It always has been, always will be. Romans 6.23 is the easiest one to remember. For the wages of sin is death. So we should not be surprised by the words here in Zephaniah. Even in the midst of a revival, they were still sinners. Unless we are tempted to believe the words of the serpent who has continued this lie since the beginning with Adam and Eve, where he says, you will not surely die. He says that to us still today. Oh, this sin you're about to go commit? Surely you will not die for it. God will not hold you accountable for that. Oh no, compared to those people over there, you're much better than them. Surely your sin is no big deal in the eyes of a good God, right? Those are lies that have continued for all of time since the beginning in the garden. And chapter 2 continues this pronouncement of judgment. And it's not just judgment against Judah. Those people who should have known better. They should have known the book of the law and what God had said. But now it's judgment against all the other nations. Against Judah's enemies. Those people that might be gloating at the fact that, ha ha, God, their God is bringing judgment upon them. But we pray to our gods and our gods will keep us safe. But Zephaniah in chapter 2 says, no, 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 God's judgment, His wrath will go out and cover all the nations. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you worship, God's wrath is even for you. For you are all sinners and stand guilty before God. So the question still remains, is God good? Well, Zephaniah, he begins to answer that for us. So turn to chapter 3 and look at verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each day He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. So even though you may not understand it quite yet, hear Zephaniah and the Lord tell you the answer to the question, is God good? He says it himself, I am good. I am righteous. I do not do anything unjust. In fact, it is because of God's goodness and justice that this wrath is to come. Because He judges evil rightly. It's just hard to recognize that we are among the evil. We are the unjust who knows no shame. He gave us the breath of life and with it we curse Him. He has the right to take his breath back and to bring death to those that would misuse his gift of life. 
It is our sin and our rebellion. Our shame does not stop. Even though God gives us multiple chances to turn. He gave His people multiple opportunities to turn. In fact, that's what the next few verses talk about. 6 through 8 says this, I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept my correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. God has been trying to correct. He's been giving them opportunities to repent and turn to them by judgments and by uh, this corrective punishment like a father would correct his son but they refused and we refuse to honor him and respond to those corrections so god makes this declaration that in his burning anger and the fire of his jealousy all the earth shall be consumed Well, if you didn't come in here weary and feeling hopeless, you certainly do now. So have we looked long enough into the darkness? Are we ready to see the light? The ending of Zephaniah is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And it contains within it some of the brightest spotlights of God's mercy and grace. And it highlights God's infinite love for you. So don't give up hope now that we've faced the wrath of God to come. Let's keep reading and find His hope. So Zephaniah 3, verse 9. For at that time... I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. Now let's pause here for a moment. He says, at that time. At what time? What time is He declaring? At the time when God's wrath is at its peak. When God's wrath is coming and there's no hope, there's no more help that could be offered, there's no defense against it, God's righteous judgment is coming. And it's at that time, in that moment, when it seems that darkness has won, that the Lord declares His victory cry and His anger is just and justified. And yet, He steps in and changes our speech from a voice of rebellion to a voice of that honors and seeks after Him. He in Jeremiah describes the change of our heart where God steps in and turns our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. 
It's what God does. His mercy, His grace, He brings salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. It begins with Him. He reaches into our rebellion and He changes our speech and creates in us a heart that cries out to Him that otherwise would not call out to Him at all and would just continue in its shame and sin. So He changes our speech. He causes us to repent when we would otherwise have never repented. He draws us close to Himself so that we would call upon His name. And when we cry out to the Lord, we do not find harsh hand of judgment, but instead we find a loving hand of rescue. And so today I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord. Feel the new life surging into you as a gift from God and call upon His name. You may fear Him for now if you stand in your sin. But let the Lord's mercy do its work. And you can draw near to Him in safety and security and feel His love. Let's continue in verse 11. Verse 11 of chapter 3 says, On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. This is what God has for us. Even though we deserve punishment and we are guilty and stand before God, He will remove our pride. He will remove our guilt. He will remove our rebellion. And like the psalmist says, He'll throw our sins as far as the east is from the west. So Zephaniah and Josiah and the other Old Testament prophets and kings, they had hope and the promise of these things yet to come. That this is what God would do, but they did not know how. But we do. We know how. To quote Pastor John's, one of his favorite verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Here's how he does it. For our sake, he made him, who is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or in Galatians 3.13, it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So when all seems lost and nothing more remains except the judgment of God, God delivers salvation and grace and mercy, and mercy's name is Jesus. And this is our hope. So when you are weary, when you're tired, when the darkness of this world seems to overwhelm you and you've been staring too long into that bleak darkness and you're stuck in your rebellion and you feel like an outcast and that you're about to be swept away in the judgment of God, then let the Lord 
reach in and change your speech from the noise of rebellion to a voice of praise. And on that day, you shall not be put to shame. You will not be held accountable for the sins that you have committed, for Jesus Christ already has been. The day that Zephaniah took two and a half chapters to describe will be removed. It says the judgment will be removed. And it's removed because it's placed from you and put on Christ. And then you can join a new chorus, a new choir of praise. So let's read chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Once the Lord moves and gives you this gift of salvation, you can join this song. 3.14 says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. God is in our midst, so we can sing aloud. We no longer need to be afraid and fear His judgment. We instead can sing with praise. It is good news now that God is here in our midst. If we were stuck in our sin, it would be bad news to be confronted with the Lord in His wrath. But now that our judgment is removed and God has changed our speech and called us to Himself, it is the best news. <coughs> Excuse me. The best news. Ooh, I'm going to take a pause. It's going to come back. <clears throat> Ooh. <clears throat> it should take our breath away. <laughs> this is what they needed to hear. Because they, they knew that they thought maybe they had done enough. Have we been... Good enough, God, do you love us again in the midst of our revival? Will, will we get through this? But soon after Josiah's death, his kids lead them back into sin. And in a few short years, Jerusalem is completely destroyed. The temple is torn down. The houses are burned. Almost everyone in their nation is either killed or taken away into captivity. They're left asking the same question they started with. Is God really good? And they can look back on this chapter in Zephaniah. And they can have hope that they can sing again. That they can join in this new chorus. And they can give God praise even in the midst of their darkness. 
because God will remove their judgment. God will do something different. They didn't know how, but they would wait for one day, John the Baptist, to come and to make this declaration standing by the Jordan River, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what they were longing to hear. That's what we hear. That is our salvation. That is who has come. Jesus is the mighty one who would save. He is the one who bore our judgment and takes our place. He brings light to our darkness. The Lord Jesus has taken away our punishment by giving himself as a ransom for our souls. He died for you. He bore the wrath of chapters 1, 2, and the beginning of 3 so that you did not have to. And as the hymn writer of old says, as he peers and looks back at the cross, ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load, tis the word the Lord's anointed. Son of man and Son of God. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. So let not your hands grow weak. When the weariness of this world weighs them down, let the love of the Lord and the sacrifice of Christ lift them up in praise to God. And sing aloud, rejoice, fear not, And realize you do not sing alone. You join with a chorus of others that have been redeemed. And we also join a voice that we may not hear at the moment. Look at verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I love that verse. God singing a song of love over you. A song of joy from the lips of the Creator of the universe as He rejoices with loud singing an exultant joy over you. He is not shy about how He feels about you. He does not hide his affection and love. He booms it out with a voice of God and sings this song over you. And remember the beginning how in verse 7 of chapter 1, God was going to walk in like the angry father and just say silence and quiet down everyone in judgment. But here, there's a different image of God walking in in gentleness, and with love, and stooping down to our weary souls and saying, shh, it'll be okay. I am here. I am with you. I am the God in your midst. Let me quiet you with my love. Let me calm your soul. Let me ease your anxieties. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. I am here. I am with you. 
And it seems as if God is almost singing us a lullaby of love like a gentle father would for his child. God created everything we see with the words out of his mouth. When he just spoke them into existence. Imagine what God can do with his song as he sings over you. Can he recreate that which you feel is so far broken? Can he fix all that you have messed up in your life? Can he redeem your soul and bring you to himself? Can he overcome the darkness of your sin in your life and bring you to the place of hope and healing? Can you feel his comfort and his compassion What can God do with His song of love for you? So let not your hands grow weary. Let not them droop in weakness. Don't let the world and the darkness win. For the Lord has already made His victory cry. And He sings His song of celebration with loud singing that overpowers all the noise of this world. Now, I don't know the exact words that God sings, but I can imagine that it's God glorifying His own name and He invites you into this song, into this perfect joy. It's the Father lifting up His Son and singing, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. It's the Son glorifying His Father. How majestic is Your name in all the earth. The Lord is greatly to be praised. And the Holy Spirit is singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and worthy of all praise and honor. And the Holy Trinity in all of its infinite power sings a song that has been sung for all of eternity. And He invites you into it and says, Come, come in, join in this song. Listen to it, rejoice in it, let it comfort you and feel the power of God's music in your heart so he invites us in as he defeats satan and sin and defeats it once and for all giving us freedom from all the bondage that we feel today he lifts you out from where you are in this world and he sings a song over you so if there was ever a song we needed to hear when we are weary and tired and all seems lost and broken. It's this song of the Lord. So are you mourning this morning? Are you suffering? Do you feel shame? Do you feel lame and broken in your body? Do you feel like an outcast who is unwanted or unloved? Then let the concluding words of Zephaniah remind you of God's love for you and what he will do on that day instead of bringing you judgment and wrath if you place your faith in Jesus Christ and trust in him and receive the mercy and grace and salvation that he gives to you then you can rejoice with these words I'll conclude with 18 through 20 I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. 
Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. Is that you this morning? Do you question God's goodness in the face of punishment and pain? He's looking for you. He gathers the outcast, the weary and the heavy laden. He takes those who mourn and weep, and He brings them into the celebration and the festival feast of joy. He sings his song of love over you now with a bold voice of mercy. So my prayer is that you would hear his song this morning. May you find comfort and hope in his voice. May you turn to your Savior who rescues you from this day of judgment that we deserve. And would you join with the chorus of praise. And may your eyes see the radiating light of the Lord's love and mercy for your soul. Let's pray. Lord, your judgment is real. Your wrath is justified. And there is a sober realism to stand in your presence, in our guilt and shame, and to have the lies of Satan exposed and instead our hearts realize that we stand guilty before you. But then, Lord, your good news is so good that because of your mercy, you step in and rescue us. Lord, may we respond in faith and believe that this morning. Wherever we are, however we came in here, however weary we felt, may you lift us out of that weariness and give a spring to our step because we can run to you. And you are the God in our midst. And you bring us love and grace and mercy in your Son, Jesus Christ. And through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, Lord, we now stand in life. And we can celebrate with you. May we start today and may that celebration and festival of joy and that chorus of love go on forever. Lord, we long to be with you. May you be glorified in us as we celebrate you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.